0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So
1: welcome everybody to uh, our Wednesday night evening Bible study at Christchurch. We are studying and wrestling with the last words of Moses. This is what we call the book of Deuteronomy, or in Hebrew, Sefer Devarim, the book of things stuff Uh, this is moses addressing the children of israel on the plains of moab where uh, on the day of his birthday he's uh, uh, announcing that today is his birthday at the same time it also will be his last day and he is giving his instructions to the people of israel as they're about to enter uh, israel or do the conquest of canaan and uh, and what he does is he gives a retelling of the Torah, he makes comments, and what's interesting for us as we've been studying is he doesn't just repeat verbatim what God had said. But what we find is he makes sometimes some changes, sometimes he leaves things out, and often adds things. And so in uh, in the last words of Moses, a strong emphasis on the heart that the Torah. The words of God, the instructions from heaven were meant to be and always were meant to be on the heart of the listener and what that looks like if it is etched on our hearts. And so we will begin with a word of prayer. So um, Neville, things as you're here tonight, brother, could you lead us in
0: prayer?
2: Indeed. Father, we thank you for your grace at this time, Lord. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for this means of communication that we have that brings us together across continents. So, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit, unbound by anything, Lord, would be amongst us and with us and teach us and lead us into revelations about your heart, your character, and your Messiah and your will for us. We ask these things in his name. Amen.
1: Amen. Okay, so we are actually going to be studying uh, Deuteronomy 8 uh, tonight. and um, Okay. So uh, last week we studied Deuteronomy 7, 12 to 26. And so um, uh, I will be um, just, I'll just do a resummary of, of last week's study. So this is a recap of Deuteronomy 7, verses 12 to 26. So, throughout his final speech to the Israelites on the plains of Moab, Moses reminds the people that the covenant made with the Lord God is timeless. That is, the covenant applies to the people who are not there today, yet is spoken of as if they were there. God declares a promise to the patriarchs. God makes a covenant with the people at Sinai, and they are to teach this covenant to their children. To Moses, all generations are the same generation. So, for, for Moses, the covenant that God makes with the patriarchs, with the people that were at Sinai, and with the people who are about to enter the land of Israel is the same covenant in time. There's no, there's no change. And so you often would see Moses say, God makes his covenant with you. uh, You were, you heard uh, God speak at Mount Sinai. Yet, obviously, literally the people who were at Mount, who were standing in, in front of him hadn't, but they had to regard themselves as if they did. For Moses, all generations are the same generation. And the covenant made is a covenant of love. Involving blessing or fruitfulness of both people, agriculture, and livestock. In response, as covenants are reciprocal, the Israelites are instructed that during the conquest of Canaan, all inhabitants must be destroyed. And so, Deuteronomy ends up being the most violent book of the Torah, yet is also one of the most loving. The potential problem facing the Israelites is the worship of foreign gods. Moses warns the people that those false idols will remain an inherent snare to Israel. A desire for compassion, mercy, and reconciliation gone wrong will induce syncretism and ultimately idol worship. That is to say, I feel sorry for them. So their thoughts, culture, and God's really can't be that bad. This is the truth. This, in truth, is only false pity. A lesson that is actually relevant also for us today. As Moses says, all generations are the same generation. That is, you might have an Islamic friend. You might like your Islamic friend. You can feel good about your good Islamic friend, but that does not make Islam and Christianity the same religion. And so false pity can lead to secretism. While the enemies in Canaan appear strong and mighty compared to the Israelite nomads, Moses reminds the people of sacred history that has occurred one generation ago, the Exodus from Egypt. Sacred memory is to be the defense of the people. The Canaanites are mighty indeed when compared to Israel, but not when compared to the God of heaven. God will even marshal nature against his enemies, and insects will finish off the survivors of the battle. Nature is quite powerful and relentless. Thus, the invasion will proceed slowly ensuring that nature and wild animals will not overwhelm a depleted land and people. The enemies of God will be unable to unite. Instead, there will be confusion in their ranks. The principles of no honor among thieves and evil often devours itself still hold sway in the world today. Of all the plunder that is going to fall into the victorious hands of Israel, following the invasion, Moses warns again against plundering the images and idols of the Canaanites. These forms and statues will no doubt be made up of precious metals and they will hold great value. This will be attractive to the Israelite. However, the very nature of idolatry is an abomination to the Lord, detestable in his sight. False gods, false theologies, false worldviews are infectious and the desirable quality of them infuses even the very property of the Israelite that embraces them and brings them into their homes. Thus, they themselves incorporate the stain of abomination and are set apart for destruction, says the Lord. Looking at our world today, knowing that for Moses, all generations are the same generation. The people of God cannot engage in syncretism with the world. In doing so, the stain of idolatry infuses with our beliefs and theologies. In the end, we suffer the same fate of Israel. We become a detestable thing unto the Lord. So how do we defend against this insidious yet attractive snare of trying to syncretize all traditions, or make all gods seem the same. Sacred memory. We must be about the practice of remembering, especially the covenant made once for all, for all time, for everyone. Okay, that was what we uh, ended up uh, discussing last week. And now we're on to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So uh, normally we would go around and read it, But uh, this time, what we'll do is um, I'll read chapter 8 and then start the discussion. Okay, let me just mute Galaxy 50 as you're quite loud. All right. Everybody else good? All right. So, Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm reading from an NIV. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron. And you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and you have all. And all that you have is multiplied and then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations destroyed before you. So you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. All right. So based on an initial reading on, uh, on Deuteronomy 8, is there anything there that you guys noticed, uh, always notice or um, uh, always fall back to whenever you uh,
3: read something like this? Anything that you noticed?
1: If you need to speak, you need to unmute. Yeah,
2: it. yeah. it's great to see the, the list of the seven species there. It's always that's a, it's a, a treat to read it, yeah. uh, to see uh, Moses' description of the land. Yeah. yeah I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that when we get there. But, yes, but I just love reading that passage. Yeah,
1: I like it. I guess um, uh, you get it's a lot of agriculture in there, and both Michelle and I come from agricultural uh, areas of Australia. Um, and when it gets to the actual mining bit and the minerals, well, there's two listed, but one of them isn't actually real. The rocks are like iron, but they're not actually made of the stuff. <laughs> and uh, so you end up with a very, in terms of um, mineral resource, that sort of wealth isn't abundant in this country. But uh, the, uh, uh, there is copper, uh, but, but it is a lot of these... Agricultural products are uh, here in abundance. Verse
0: 5. Oh, Go ahead, Roddy. I was,
4: we were asking uh, what stands out, verse 5.
0: Mm hmm.
3: Mine says to think deeply about it. Oh, yeah? Yoday hey was.
4: Uh, disciplining you just as a man disciplines his child.
0: Oh, just...
1: the, the wanderings in the wilderness. Yeah. Contemplate deeply the discipline of God.
5: Hmm. What does
4: yeah. yours say? You said something about the
1: heart? yet yeah. know then in your heart. Verse 5.
2: Yeah, I have that as well in the ESV. Because
1: mm-hmm. in Hebrew it says know in your heart yeah yeah so um, it's uh, again part of that uh, thing that Moses does during Deuteronomy is to make sure that we contemplate and place uh, the Torah on our heart so we're not just knowing with our heads but it's it's, uh, it's it's inside it's
5: inside you deep inside you all right okay just one thing that jumps out um for me is um, verse 10 and 11 put together yeah um when you look at 10 and 11 put together it says um, when you have eaten and you are full uh you should give thanks to the lord your god uh, for the good land which he has, which he has given you then verse 11 says, it says take care." Least you forget the Lord your God and fail to keep his commandments, his rules, and his laws, which I enjoy upon you today. So yep. there is this, um, there is this uh, fear of, um, for Israel to get into that self-sufficiency and forget God.
1: Yep. Yeah, there's a, a strong emphasis on reminding ourselves that we're constantly dependent upon the Lord. Um, uh, most of us come from wealthy countries. Most of us. And uh-huh. uh, um, and that can be uh, a snare to us. It becomes because we begin to think that we deserve it. Uh, we think you know we it becomes a right, which is bizarre. You know, um, I have the right to free education. Well, since when? Um, but it becomes that way. But uh, it for this this verse, uh, Deuteronomy eight verse ten is the sentence of the Torah where the Jewish people come up with the idea that um, you need to say grace at the end of, of a meal. Um, and so uh, we in the, in the, in the Christian tradition have this idea that we need to say grace at the start of a meal before um, the meal. <laughs> and, uh, and yet the actual text says after you have eaten and are uh, satisfied, it even, gives, it even gives you a little caveat you know, uh, then bless the Lord your God. So you, if you eat something and it's not good, then you can't bless the Lord for the thing because um, that would be a lie, wouldn't it? You, know? <laughs> you go out, you go out to a, your favourite steakhouse, when we're allowed to finally go out, and um, you order a steak, I'd like my steak medium rare, please, and it comes to you burnt to a crisp. And you say, okay, Lord, you know, I really enjoyed that steak. And God's up in heaven going, that's a lie. Going to that, the that's to that's actually one of the big ten. So don't do that. But you should do is you should call the waiter over, send it back, get it cooked the way you want it. When you eat it, then tell me how good it is.
5: Mm-hmm. And if
1: so as it comes with this caveat. However, during the second temple period, this is the bit that influences uh, the New Testament. Uh, the Jewish people came to these conclusions that said, listen, you know, if we say a blessing at the end of a meal, surely saying a blessing at the beginning and at the end must be better. And so by the time of Yeshua, you actually had the, the, the blessing for wine, the blessing for bread said at the beginning of the meal, which you find Yeshua doing, which you find Jesus doing. Um, and then at the end of the meal, they would have said the actual another blessing, the, the blessing. Uh, for, for thanking God for the food. Okay, Lingling, you got a hand raised?
3: You have to unmute.
1: You there, Ling Ling?
3: Uh, nope. Can you hear me? I can now. Okay. okay. It's very interesting. You know, when you travel through Israel, uh, this verse is really vividly taking you into the exactly what it says here. You see the agriculture when you travel from Dan to yeah. Beersheba. From Beersheba to Fagan Desert, Zin Desert, Arava Desert. And you see the three images. The land of honey, which is full of agriculture you just mentioned. Yeah. And if you go back, come back to the verse... See the verse twelve, thirteen. You say the cattle, the sheep, and you see this is the land of milk, which representing a kind of herding, shepherding, and this is referred to. Uh, David, a song of a psalm says that you, I'm a good, You are the good shepherd, uh, in whom I shall not want. So this is a shepherding, and if you come back. Come on to the 15th. I have led you through the awesome, fearful desert. And there is a serpent and those kinds of things, which is the desert. Awesome desert. So the land of milk and honey is really, a, and then God says it's a good land. But to us, we like to live in a place full of food. Who will live in the desert today? If you take you to Fagan at least you have a romantic idea to living there, but yeah. otherwise you will have very difficult life and with a car to travel. Otherwise you will walk miles and miles to get a canteen of water or whatsoever. Yeah. So the, to me, you know, according to what I read other sources, the land of milk and honey, God promised to them, is the three kinds of lifestyle. The fertileness, the richness of the land, Of honey, you have no other needs, you have everything. Then, in the land of milk, you are sufficient because if you follow God, taking God as your shepherd. But in the awesome desert, you are totally have no way to live on, and this you depend on God. So, the roses, you know, the Moses are teaching in the 40 years. Is taking the place in the dead wilderness. They have not entered into the land of promise, the land of milk and honey yet. So, the totally different lifestyle in the desert, Israelites to be trained to know this invisible God is a fully supplier, the supply of not only physical life, but also the spiritual life. I believe, due to Aramee, there is a significant spiritual meaning in it. Oh,
2: totally. You know,
3: I'm a tour guide, so I always <laughs> bring people, travel through four stages in Israel, uh, which is land of honey, agriculture, land of milk, which is in the, uh, uh in, in the, in the semi, uh, semi arid area, then in the wilderness. And the fourth is most important, is Jerusalem. Jerusalem mm-hmm. is God, or then to be the place, worship God. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I, I just like to share with you about this. This is really interesting, and yeah. it's so vivid. Shows us the stages where uh, where it was kept in this Deuteronomy eight. We see the three stages of the Bible. Sorry, if I talk too much, too long. <laughs> <laughs> it, the,
1: yeah. All of the land, as yeah. you, all of it is, as yeah. it sums up, is the good land. The, the good, right? Land, it's a good land and. and the venomous snakes, which is an interesting thought. I mean, and, but yes, for anyone who would like to uh, see how um, uh, the Recovery Church uh, wrestles with the seven species and, and looks for the spiritual meanings should go to Kokia House, where there is an excellent uh, museum on the seven species, which they put together some great views and did it with uh, the Antiquities Authority, correct, Lingling?
3: Right, right. Yeah. Israel and co Duke- and- work with us. Yeah, okay. it's a beautiful museum, but now I'm sorry you cannot go there. <laughs> when it's open, I'll tell when you. It, okay. When it's
5: open.
3: <laughs> yeah, when it's open. It's when so it's open. open. <laughs> you see a movie, yeah. all-inclusive land. Yeah. The land of promise, a good land. Okay. okay. Very interesting. Welcome. <laughs> Bernardo? Uh,
0: I have a question. Does anybody here um, believe that it's not bee honey but date syrup?
3: Oh.
2: Uh, I think it's bee honey, really. Um, it, in a sense, because it um, implies um, well, well, the, the the land of milk and honey. The milk naturally implies pasture land, and the honey implies flowers and trees. You have to have both wooded areas and flowers for bee honey, and that's actually, um, you know, trees. Uh, it's quite a, a contrast to where they came from, Egypt. Right. There are, there are bees in, in the
1: Bible, obviously. Um, the most uh, uh, vibrant story about a bee is Samson, where he ends up finding bees making honey inside a lion. And uh, so they were around. Um, bees are part of, of nature in terms of uh, its procreation, our plants um, uh, procreate, and so yeah, I think with Neville they're there. Date date syrup is there as well, um, but where the, the honey is referring to that, the the I think the Hebrew there is 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 the is honey honey
3: that comes from yeah, the yeah it's vash. The thevash the vash. Yeah. The is produced from the agriculture yeah, from the, grapes yeah. figs yeah. and pomegranates yeah. and how then, sweet they are
2: correct. and this is
3: the honey yeah. so in Hebrew it's thevash uh, yeah. is mean doesn't mean the bee honey. Actually, it's aquaculture. Uh, yeah. Another reference to the land of aquaculture. And, you know, with a lot of rivers, spring, source of water, to mm-hmm. produce this honey stage. Sure. And uh, the shepherd stage is because lacking of water. So you have to go through the shepherding in order to get your life, yeah, uh, you know, maintained. Yep. And this is everything to do with the water. And this is why Jesus always says, I am the water. If you well, drink of me, in, in you shall of In
1: Deuteronomy 11, yeah. we're going to get yeah. a, a clear yeah. sign from God that water is linked to your morality.
3: Right. And exactly. We'll no water, you know. no leaf.
1: No, okay. yes. Yeah. So well, let's have a look at, um, at the first verse at the beginning of the text where God says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and enter and possess the land the Lord promised you on oath to your ancestors. So here we see that uh, Moses says that the commandments of God actually need to be done. Be careful that you actually do these mitzvahs that I'm giving you today. I mean, it's conditional that you can live, and you can, you can increase the fertility that comes from, from um, the covenant of love and possess the land that God has already sworn. So there's a reciprocal relationship. But um, the commandments of the Lord need to be done. Why? Simply because they are commandments. Be careful to observe these commandments. And, uh, and this creates, in modern rabbinic thought, Although it's not just modern, it's it's around 2,000 years ago. The concept of doing a mitzvah. Right? Do the commandments. So you go, you do a mitzvah. And um, what is a mitzvah? Well, it's uh, acting out some of the instructions of the Lord. Um, anyone read Pirkei Avot? Bernardo, is that you? You, you read Pirkei Avot?
2: Yeah, I've read it. So. Yeah.
1: So Pirkei Avot is... Um, Can uh, I read what? vod, the,
2: the chapters th- of the fathers.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yep. The ethics of the fathers. Uh, I, some.
3: I, yeah, I've read some of that.
1: Yep. So some of it is is a, is pre-Jesus. Okay. Some of it is contemporary, and some of it's a little bit after. It's called the Mishnah. So it's the first first part of the Mishnah. Um, so there is a fair bit of it that's actually pre pre um, pre-Jesus, and in Avot chapter four, Mishnah number two. Uh, a guy by the name of Ben uh, Azai says, you might have heard this in New Testament, flee from sin. Right? Okay, good. I've got to flee from sin. That sounds pretty easy. But when you flee from sin, run and do even the smallest of the commandments. Because if you do a sin, it just leads to another sin, right? It continually start down the path of uh, steal 10 cents, next minute you're stealing 20 cents, next minute you're stealing several dollars, next minute you're robbing a bank. Uh, so flee from sin because otherwise it'll compound. One will lead to another. But if you, do a, if you obey one of the commandments, if you do a mitzvah, what is the reward? Well, another commandment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. the, reward, the, the reward of obeying the Lord is the opportunity to obey the Lord again. Right? And so,
3: kind
1: of a I, yep. And it, that's a nice way of thinking about it, right? Like you, you, Jesus says, love. Okay, so we go and love. But you don't just love once. You love someone, and now you have the opportunity to love the very next person you meet. Yeah, you, 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 you follow the commandments of the Lord, and your reward is the opportunity to do another one. So this sort of was. That's right a, yeah. Yep. so that, that thinking was running around in the in the second temple period mm-hmm. and it uh, and it hearkened back to uh, this command from uh, Deuteronomy 8 be careful to follow every command right and that included the little
3: That's kind of the I I'm sorry it's kind of the idea of teshuvah when you have to return to the Lord And They say you have to, you know, confess, but then you have to do another command. To you have to redeem yourself in in the sense of uh, of doing one of the mitzvot for that teshuvah. Heard of that too?
1: Well, it's kind of like proving it, right? It's like um, I return to the Lord by fleeing from sin, by not doing it again. Um, And then, and then, if I'm not doing a sin, then what should I be doing? I should be running along the other path. So, yeah, the idea of do, do teshuvah and then look for some way to, to serve the Lord. Okay. Um, all right. So, and p- verse 2. Okay. So this, this is linking obedience, right? This is a, let's, let's be careful to obey the Lord. God's got some great teachings. Let's, let's obey. How? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Right? to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, again, the heart idea, whether or not you would keep his commandments. And so obedience is based on remembering what the Lord has done. And so these people were about to enter Canaan, uh, but Moses says, obey the Lord and remember where we've just come from. Memory is the defense. Okay, once we've Stop to remembering once we're only living in the present which has become disconnected from the past our future is going to disappear and uh, and it's linked with the concept of humility so, so Aaron yeah
0: it says it's
4: a test yeah is, is God testing us for himself or what's the purpose of the test
1: well, what what do you think? What do you think the text is saying?
4: To know what is in our own heart. We yeah. don't know, and God does not know until we act upon it.
1: Okay. But
5: does, he, does he not know, or is it for us to learn? That's my question. It's both. Okay. I think it's God knows our heart. Um, I think God wants to reveal us to ourselves, uh, because sometimes we kind of live in our pride and in denial, and so if God is like what God asked Adam, Adam, where are thou? Adam, where are thou? God knew where Adam was, but God was trying to make Adam to think about what he's doing. You know, God's bringing us to realization. So being
1: humble isn't just about being in a humble place. right? Okay? Um, it's really about knowing where your heart is in this humble place. So, I mean, there are people who can um, start fasting and praying. They can devote themselves to a life of poverty. they can give up all of, of their possessions and go and live on an island and serve the poor. Yet their heart isn't for, the, isn't for God. And, uh, and so the, the, the place of humility still is, is somewhere linked to the heart. Where is your heart at? And so, Roddy, God tests. Yes, He does. Um, uh, to, to whether he, he, he humbled us to test us, um, whether or not to know what was in your heart, right? whether or not you would keep His commandments. And so, uh, which is an interesting thing because it can imply that God is watching. What are you gonna do? I need to know. I need to know if these people can actually do it or not. And so this, as, as REA says, the Hebrew can imply and does uh, that uh, the test is for, for us to know what's in our heart and for God to know what's in our heart. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But so we often look at tests as an, in a negative way, right? Because I don't know anybody who wants to go through a test. And and my brother there, you know, you're going through a test. You've been separated from your wife now in the Philippines, I don't know, for how long? How long has it been now, brother? One year, one month. Yeah, see, that's terrible, okay? That's not right. And uh, But, you know, you've, you've borne this test uh, incredibly well, and you've continued to serve uh, the poor of Jerusalem. And for that, um, may the Lord return a blessing to you. That's a good sign for us, brother. Okay. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Any, anything Amen. else on the idea of the Lord? Okay, any, anyone know where that noise is coming from? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, any, any other comments on the Lord testing
2: us? The thing that struck me was that it was actually forty years. So it's not a quick test. And it, this is just not a test of you can uh, work up to something and, you know, a cram, if you like, to use the, the standard idea of examinations. But it's actually, it's the walk, it's the long-term, it's the faithfulness, it's the perseverance. It's how, how year in, year out, how you uh, fare. And so I think that's... I like the way this non-hurried approach to God's test gives you the chance to fall and learn pick yourself up turn yourself around and learn from your mistakes and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. And, and it's the and just to demonstrate the thing that's on God's heart is that we will be faithful to him
1: yeah that's good amen yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought of that. That was a good, good point, brother. That uh, yeah, these tests can last a long time. Okay, Roddy, let's not have your wife away for forty years. Okay, (laughs) one year, one month is enough. Okay, Um, but uh, yes, the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The way the way God had done this with His people, and uh, and what a lesson for us that. Because I know that in our society today, we've become. And an instant fix society. I mean, God is just working. You know, whenever we pray, He just does stuff instantly. And yet, when you read the Bible, you discover um, that for time and God, those are they're they're very interesting relation in a very interesting relationship. God says, "I do things speedily," and yet takes thousands of years to do stuff. Um, and uh, and and so. It's, a, it's an interesting lesson for us. I think it's a very humbling thing, is it not? You know, We're part of God's story, part of this creation story. We're this tiny little bit. Um seems very important for us at the time, I'm sure. Uh, and, and, and that was just as important for the people 100 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 10 years into the future. Yeah, so it's interesting. 40 years in the wilderness that... Um, that we had to be there, is, is humbling and testing uh, to see if we would keep his commandments. So, okay, got a question then. Are Israel going to keep his commandments? God's been doing the big test. What do you think?
2: Um, well, yes and no.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, that's a, such a
1: good classic, you know, Jewish. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, I've done the big test, and the result, well, it's 50 50.
2: <laughs> well, they did pretty well under Joshua, should we say.
3: Sure, yeah. okay, let's do that. Yeah. yeah. It started good.
0: Yeah, okay, that. good. But what I, I, yeah, what I love about it is that it says that you may live. I think the word live there should be in all caps. Yeah. Because And then it repeats in verse 3 that not by food or by bread, whatever, but by the word of the mouth okay. of, of Yehovah that comes out. Yeah. yeah. And... It it doesn't say um, they are burdensome to you. It'll be difficult for you. Right. It'll be impossible for you to keep or whatever. It tells you the way to life. That's yep. the way to live. Yeah,
1: um, Aria's um, been studying this recently, and uh, he's going to make a few comments. Uh, are you ready for that, Aria? Uh, I'd be glad to if you would like. Yep. So I'm going to read it for the uh, for the podcast. Okay, so verse three. This is um. Uh, God says he humbled you, okay, the people, causing you to hunger. So isn't that interesting that hum- it's part of this humbleness. There's a bit of suffering that goes on. There's a bit of withdrawal of blessing. Um, there's, uh, there's a bit of pain in the body and then feeding you with manna. So God is doing both the giving and the taking. And it's this this magical stuff, this manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Why? To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What a great statement! And we all know that this is quoted above by uh, Yeshua himself. <laughs> and um, but uh, it's got and, a, and as you also know in Jewish tradition. When you exegete a text, there are multiple levels of meaning. So REA has been doing some some thinking on this. Brother, share.
4: Okay. Well, there are numerous uh, paths and backgrounds and results here. Um, I started thinking and studying this verse, actually coming to it from Hebrews via Matthew and Jesus quote. Okay. Uh, I would note, first of all, Probably everyone's translation says every word that comes from God's mouth. Uh, the text doesn't say that, actually, in Hebrew. It just says, kol motzapi aronai," meaning whatever comes out of God's mouth. Yeah, everything. <laughs> so there are some textual issues here as to how it got into the New Testament, how Jesus quoted it, and what Jesus actually said. That's one issue which becomes very interesting and, and then eventually rolls into the Hebrews. Um, but even in its standalone state right here, he's, there's a lot to, to meditate on, I, I think, uh, when we consider what the experience of the people of Israel had been for 40 years. They had gotten up every day for 40 years and six days of every week there was this strange substance on the ground. Seventh day, there was no strange substance on on the ground, but the verse is is suggesting to us, not suggesting, is saying in essence, that every morning God had spoken or opened his mouth, something had issued forth from God. You could perhaps even use an imagery of, uh, you know, a bird regurgitating and feeding her Mm -hmm. chicks, which is not a nice image for us today, but it, it, it says the same thing. It came from God and it came as an active will, a decree every morning in his faithfulness. It wasn't the normal course of things. He actively intervened to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And it only happened six days a week. It didn't happen on the seventh day and it had been going on for 40 years. And in, in the people's situation here in the plains of Moab, they would, they would naturally want to say to themselves, well, what else is new? This is how life, this is how you live, right? You get up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you eat, have, pick up manna. Now, we're not crazy about it right now. We're a little bit tired of it. But hey, that's, that's how life works. But they would tend to forget that, in fact, this was every morning a manifestation of God's faithfulness being manifested fresh through an active intervention. This wasn't how the normal course of creation and for them, perhaps it just didn't vary another few days when they crossed the Jordan. They were about to experience the exact opposite. All of a sudden this would stop. What, a, what an amazing, unnatural thing to get up one morning and go out and all of a sudden there's nothing there to gather. So, so it's a it's an illustration of God's active intervention. His willful, faithful, creative intervention. Now when Jesus quoted this verse, of course. He quoted it in his temptations. Uh, it's well known in Matthew mm-hmm. 4. I'm sure everyone knows it. And, of course, there Jesus is quoted as saying, man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And uh, when I think about this and look at the, the texts, I wonder about it. Uh, was Jesus speaking Greek to the devil? Because it has in Greek, it has I was going to say, does it, is that is that Septuagint? Yes. Now, and here's the interesting part of it from a biblical text and inspirational point of view. This is a wonderful, interesting challenge. It repeats itself many places in the New Testament. The text in Matthew is quoting word for word the Septuagint text. Yep. Now, the Septuagint text of Deuteronomy, of course, was translated about 200 B.C. by probably a very godly Jew in Alexandria there's all kinds of traditions and even myths about it, but it was undoubtedly a godly undertaking done by godly men. And Undoubtedly, some of them probably, maybe all of them, filled with the spirit of God and love of God and, uh, and wanting to serve him. And when he read this text and translated it into Greek, he put "rema" in there. Why? Well, it's, it's natural. It, it fits, right? It's, it's a kind of a logical conclusion here. Um. Jesus I'm quite sure was not having a conversation in Greek with the devil, right? I agree with that yep. yes, Jesus Jesus of course as a as a boy in the land of Israel growing up in Galilee had studied this On the scrolls in the synagogue as part of the Beit Midrash where all the boys up until 12 or 13 became Universally literate Jesus knew this text by heart in the underlying Hebrew text that perhaps some of us have in front of us here And there's no word Matthew puts the word, and it's rema, rema. Yeah. Many of us have uh, have been exposed to, as opposed to logos. Okay.
1: They're very rea. We got a we got a question from Bernardo.
0: Sure. So the, you said by the devil. So in, in it first says the tempter, and then the devil in King James at least. So is the word there hasatan in it, Hebrew? Uh,
4: it's not a text in Hebrew. It's how, a Greek text. How,
0: what I, is the word for have, devil?
4: Well, it's probably uh, di, um, Diabolo.
0: Yeah, I that's Greek. That's yeah, Greek. Well, the Hebrew? It
4: would be Hasatan, yes. Hasatan.
0: yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Hebrew Matthew, the Shemtov, think Has. Hasatan. The underlying Hebrew was
4: probably Hasatan.
0: Yeah. Probably. We don't know.
4: Yeah. We have no clue. Yeah. In any case, Jesus, of course, is talking, uh, having this conversation with the devil in the context of food. And the devil had just said, command the stone to be made bread. Jesus is refraining. He's already undoubtedly had this thought. We don't even, in fact, even know the type or the, the context of the conversation. But he is refraining from intervening. He's waiting on God for his provision. And uh, God... Uh, eventually provided, I'm sure, and through the angels it says came and ministered to them. Okay. But again, it's a, a reference to this uh, moment by moment sustaining word. It's a specific, current intervention, as happened in the wilderness uh, over the 40 years. The really interesting part of this to me, and that what started this whole train of meditation, is in uh, Hebrews chapter one, okay. where he's speaking about God. As the Creator, having created all things through Christ, it says about apparently about Christ, but it could also be interpreted about God that He carries all things through His powerful Word, and it's rema in in Hebrew there in the Hebrews. Again, it is the rema, the current, willful expression of God's desire, moment by moment. It is every moment at every place and in every point of time that God sustains his creation. He is
3: actively involved and engaged with it, providing for it, decree. Uh, Do we just lose the REA? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so the REA,
1: we lost you there for a minute. Now the bit the bit that I got off to, uh, that you were discussing was in Hebrews one that God is sustaining all of his creation every day with his word. Every, every moment. Every moment. So he's constantly interacting, constantly intervening, constantly sustaining. And uh you used uh the is it the Aramaic Rhema?
4: It? No, it's it's Greek. It's a, That's Greek.
1: It. is it? Okay.
4: It's the same word that Jesus is quoted as saying to the devil from the Septuagint.
1: Uh the Septuagint Greek, yes. Yeah, okay.
4: Right. Just to close the thought, the reason I got off in all this was a reading up of a modern physics discovery. Um, I was not aware of it, but uh, eight years ago, uh, in, as part of the proof of the existence of the Higgs boson through the Large Hadron Collider, mm-hmm. which is interesting in and of itself, but it, what it actually proves and what's of interest to physicists is that there is a field that it's present throughout all the universe. It's called the Higgs field. It underlies everything. And it is not generated by anything in this world. It is not generated by the presence of any matter. It is not present, generated by anything. It's the only field in all of the universe that exists without reference to any other thing in the universe. And it is from that that we all derive our mass. It's the reason we even exist and can have this conversation as opposed to a magnetic field or a gravitational field that are all generated by other things. The Higgs field is there. It is generated by something that is completely unknown. And to me, this is the, this is God's active current intervention. He is upholding the universe by his word, his crema. Uh
2: Achoo. wow awesome yeah i like the fact that the these science discoveries of uh, and these kind of imponderable things is just uh shot across the bows of the clever people the physicists <laughs> just to reduce the hubris you know the, the assumption that they've got it all sussed out and then suddenly quantum mechanics comes along and then so and then then in recent days you know the recent years this thing to do with the higgs field yeah i think well, just kind of, I've, I've no idea. You know, I don't understand it. Um, most people just don't understand it, and it's um, it's basically got physicists in a spin, which is you know, God's prerogative.
1: I've never heard of it, so I'm I'm going to read up about it as soon as we finish. Okay?
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: It yeah. yeah. looks good. Yeah, <laughs> and I can certainly see where that um, where it links in that because. Um, man does not live on bread alone, okay, but by every word. I mean, we sustain our life by God himself. Now, isn't that interesting? And, and it, it linked, it's linked with humility. And um, uh, there's only one person in the entire universe who's allowed to have pride. And who's that?
3: God. Could you say it again?
1: Okay. There's only one person who in the entire universe who was allowed to have pride. And that is God. And we but read God it. is
0: not a person, Aaron. Yeah. In
1: Psalm, <laughs> in, Psalm, in Psalm 93, right? We read, it's a, oh, oh Psalm 93 says, and in English, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Although if Aria probably picked out his, um, his Hebrew Bible, he would discover that it says that Adonai is uh, dressed in gabbe, and, uh which in Hebrew means right, correct, God wraps himself in pride. He is the only one. He made creation. He sustains creation. And when God looked at it, he said it was good. He's the only one who's allowed to turn around to all the angels and say, hey, this is pretty good. Uh, I'm actually not bad. We can't have pride, but the, the Lord, the Lord himself can. And, and for a lot of uh, rabbinical commentators, uh in the second devil period they were discussing this idea about pride making sure that they don't exalt themselves too much and they created little little um uh, sort of you know one-liners to try and keep themselves uh, uh down they would say look let's just remind ourselves where does adam come from adam dust i mean really that's all we are we're not that great um, at the same time, remember, this, everything in Hebrew is, is measured on, in two hands. On one hand it says this, on the other hand it says that. So Adam is made from dust. What else is made from dust? Everything else. So all the trees, okay, the birds, the animals, everything that sustains life comes from the same thing. So it's very important as well. On one hand, not a lot. On the other hand, everything. Um, and also to say that you know man was made on the sixth day, or what was made before everything else. So even if man decided, hey look, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about what I can do and and my own abilities, just to remind remind you that the mosquito was made before you. Okay, well, you're not that great, right? And uh, and and then you think, oh my gosh, yes, that's true. So this sort of idea of balancing um, this love that God has for his creation, where his ultimate pinnacle of creation is indeed man, at the same time, let's rem- remind you, you're just dust, and even a mosquito was made before you.
3: Amen.
1: You have a, a Natalie, yeah, you're
2: going to say something? Uh, OK, anyway. Um, can right. I just add a, a side thought on your, yes. your, what you said, Arie? There's just this one verse in John chapter 4 where Jesus has been speaking to the Samaritan woman that he, the disciples come back, they've been shopping, and they say, Master, do you want something to eat? And he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Amen.
3: Yeah, my food is... The, the, yes, I'm going to have to write
1: that one down for the notes,
3: okay? Yeah. Actually, can, can I just say one sentence? Aaron okay, okay. Uh, everything depends on the word come out jehovah's mouth actually started from what you just mentioned about the you know the people are, we are all formed by earth, but the significance that he breathed into us, so the breathing is another word life, life of God into a person to cut everything come alive so when Jesus say if you believe me, eat me, drink of me, then you shall have life. And if you hear my word and do it, you shall live. So the word of God, if you go back to Ezekiel 37, the dry bone came alive. This is the first breathing of Ezekiel. But he, God said, hey, Ezekiel, don't go away. breathe it the second time. So he become a living person. So Jesus is the later Adam, the first Adam fell. Jesus is the final Adam. Uh, the final Adam from Corinthians 15 45. First, it said the later Adam has turned into the life giving spirit. So, the life giving spirit is where Paul testified. He met Jesus on the Damascus. The resurrection Lord was speaking Tony, to him. You said one sentence. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's true. <laughs> you gotta
3: keep it you know shorter God, God breathing go into off. him so he come on. alive yeah so the the breathing which is the life of god actually sorry i yeah. cannot stop
1: I, we we noticed okay
3: why well, you what? welcome me for the next time aaron of course just keep it short all right let's go back to, let's go back to verse three
1: so sorry in in humility god allows us to be hungry we get a test we get this incredible food Constantly coming up every day, Shabbat, with, with that whole thing that Arya was talking about in terms of the God's consistent interaction sustaining uh, us. Now, on another level, I want to think about some of the other things that uh, other levels that, uh, of of life. This is, it is a lesson for us. This is to teach that man does not live on bread alone. Okay, but on every word, okay, that comes from the Lord, or in 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 your Greek. From well, the mouth of the Lord, but that every word that comes from the Lord, okay, what is it that gives us life? Is it the food that we eat? Is it the creation that lives around us? Where do we get our life from?
3: From the breathing of God.
1: From the Word. From God. From, the, from God. From the Word of God. So there's multiple levels. So let's now look at the Word of God, the Va'aluhim. All right. Yep, so you, you, when Yeshua is defending himself against the enemy, right. he says, you know, and he quotes the word to defend himself with the word. And um, the, the Bible, so in the world today, there are a lot of living dead people. They, right. they, they exist in creation simply for material culture. Simply for the stuff that they can find. But they're not really alive. Because they're not, they're not living from God. They're not getting from his word. They're not receiving his spirit. They're not in a community. So they have a kind of life, but it lives for a while and then it fades. Right. But the true life, the real life that, that people have and uh, comes from, from, uh, from the Lord. And so there's a positive here, right? How do we live? We live by man's word. Now the negative side—not it's not, not actually really negative. The word of God, therefore, cannot be used to hurt people. Right? It's to be used to give life. But sometimes some people in some parts of of, of the of the kingdom. Instead, take uh, the Bible and use it in an incorrect way. They do it, use it to hurt their brothers and sisters. They use it to not give life. They use it to actually um, cause pain. And, uh, and, and that's not uh, what we should be using the Word of God for. You don't use it to destroy. That's the enemy's job, right? The enemy comes in to, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Uh, the Word gives life. And... Um, uh, I want to have a look Uh what gives life. The word of God gives life, okay? This is what, what doesn't give life dreams and visions and miracles, okay? I want to have a look at a prophet, uh, Jeremiah 23, I think it is. Jeremiah 23, verse 28, where... Um, God says, let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak life. A word, speak it faithfully. Amen. What has straw to do with grain, says the Lord. So it's, it's uh, we have to, visions and dreams and prophecies are real. But you got to keep them in perspective. The word of God. Is what is giving life. Uh, Sometimes too many of our parts of our community simply look for the dream and the vision uh, and the miracle and forget that the solid thing that's holding this all together is the word of the Lord. And as we've just been seeing in the verses one, two, and three, uh, we need to put it into practice, right? Be diligent. You know, flee from sin, run to do the mitzvah, look for figuring out a way how to put the word of God into practice. And when we forget, try and engage in some form of sacred memory where we can remember all the good things that God has done for us, uh, in particular, I guess, even looking at looking after us through uh, the wilderness. And so for uh, for Israel, who are about to engage in battle and, all kinds of uh, horrible things. Moses, once again, he's already done it in the previous chapters, but he does it again. He repeats all the things they already know because of all seeing them. Verse 4, your clothes did not wear out. You know, the very things you're wearing right now, they haven't worn out. Okay? Your feet didn't swell in these um, 40 years. Check your soles of your feet. You haven't got blisters. Absolute miracle. Uh, know then in your heart, okay, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And that, again, has both positive and negative connotations. Sure, no one likes to get disciplined, none of us. But isn't it nice to know that we're a child of God? That's a nice thought, you know. Um, know in your heart. That the Lord your God disciplines you just like a father and a son. So you get that family relationship, that special bond that's being discussed and talked about sitting under the hot sun in the desert. Um, That uh, the Lord your God, yeah, you might have, have gone a little hungry. You might be feeling a little angst as we're going into battle. But this actually just reflects that God really loves you very much has a special relationship with you and wants you to succeed and so in verse 6 once again you have the uh, the injunction that observe the commands of the Lord your God put those things into practice run to do a mitzvah walking in obedience to him and revering him and uh, obedience is a theme that runs through the whole Bible which we, we, we will often see uh, uh, leading up into the epistles and into the book of Hebrews, that, um, uh, uh, that, that in, in Hebrews five, that Jesus has become the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. And uh, and so, you know, Yeshua says in Matthew, "Take upon yourself my yoke, my commands are, are, are not burdensome; they're light." Uh, in verse seven. So there's this, there's this uh, again, the call to obey, and it's linked to our memory. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land. And as, as Ling Ling has said, and as anybody knows who's with this land, it's quite a diverse land. We've got the deserts, we've got the, the mountains, we've got the rivers and streams and the coastal land. Um, we've got a lot. And it's a good land. Now, of course, adjectives like good, they're all subjective. Yeah, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Some people don't like deserts. I do. Some people don't like mountains. Actually, I like mountains as well. Kind of like everything. But um, God calls it a good land. Now, if God's going to call it a good land, it is therefore by definition.
3: Good. Good.
1: Good. (laughs) Yep, she good. Okay, Abigail gets to look outside of his front door (laughs) and see this fantastic uh, uh, hills (laughs) of Benjamin. And it looks pretty dry right now, doesn't it, mate? Yes, it does. Yeah, she did right off. But it's still a good land. Arie, what's your, what are your, what's your impression of the land? It's wonderful land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: Yes. Somebody blow the shofar. Yes.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I was having a Bible study with a rabbi this morning, and I discovered something I didn't know before. Uh, aria you might remind me you know this. You actually can't carry a shofar into a synagogue on Shabbat. Did you know
3: that? Right. And can I carry uh, the food? I did
1: not know that. I thought you could take a cigarette and blow them like no, you can blow shofars six days of the week. You just can't do it on Shabbat. That's right. Yeah. And I I, I was stunned. I was like, oh my gosh. And I'm feeling I feel like walking around to all the messianics saying, Stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is not what we do. Blow it tomorrow. Okay, but anyway, um, that's another thing. It is, it's a good land. It's an absolutely fantastic land. And, uh, and the then we get... Sorry, bro? It's just the people. The land is good, just the people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, we've got some issues. <laughs> all right. the, and then it describes the land. Now, other people's lands have these too. Other people's... The, Egypt had brooks and streams and deep springs. Egypt had the Nile. Okay. Um, it's Other, other lands had good things too. And so uh, in this one, you just get a little bit more description of, of the land, uh, brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and the hills. And, and because of the blessing we've had from the Lord this year, most definitely doing that. Right? Um, I do believe they even opened up the dam at the, at the Galilee. Is that true?
4: I don't think so, but it's about ten centimeters away. Oh, okay. So she she got that
1: close. Yeah, actually, actually,
2: what they've done is they've uh, they're not letting it out over the Degania Dan because it would cause a problem for the farming in that area. They've rerouted. They've taken water out via another route, and and to go into (laughs) to go into the Jordan. So they actually they have because I mean it's within four inches of, of the overflow, but that's big enough for the waves to splash over, no problem. So they want to keep it below, you know, a few inches below that, that line, and they, they're feeding it out via a, pi- a separate pipeline.
0: They've been, pumping, cool.
4: it, they've been pumping a million cubic meters a day out for months. Wow. It's huge. It's going into the, the national water carrier and filling it for the first time in years. Fantastic.
1: Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, we give him honor and glory for his... Hmm. His blessing and this is a blessing Amen. and uh, then God uh, Moses but God through Moses begins to describe the seven species each which have physical characteristics and spiritual characteristics there's all multiple levels on all of these you have a land of wheat and barley vines fig trees pomegranates olive oil and honey uh, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing mm which is interesting because God has just said man doesn't live by bread alone right. right and now we're going to go into a land well bread will never be scarce you're going to have peter to the brass razor so we we can go back in again into into verse three and understand that that the bread there is is you know that physical side of the bread or well, that's important yes but only to a degree Remember, there's something bigger, something higher, something more powerful, something more necessary for you to live. And it's God. And, uh, and again, for those that, that, if you ever get a chance to get to Kokia House, uh, recommend it. It's a, a, a really good presentation on, uh, on the, the seven species.
3: Seven species.
1: Yeah. The,
5: so the land... Yeah, was, um, Aaron? Yes? I'd like to just make a comment on that. Yes, right. You know, it says it that um, man does not live by bread alone. Um, it kind of emphasizes of the constant of the bread that the bread is constant. The bread needs to be there. It doesn't need, need to live by it alone. It shows that if we need to be alive on the earth, then we need food. We always need food. This is true. But yes. in, in addition to it, we need to add the word of God so that we live a more healthy life.
1: Correct. That, that's that's true. We. Uh, yes. What What's that expression we say with our kids? Man does not live on bread alone, but it sure darn helps. Um,
2: <laughs> it's,
1: it's It's true. Okay, we we do, we, and we bless the Lord whenever we do get that, yeah. right? And and yeah. God is saying, this is a good land. So if you're going to get bread, and we do need it, and yeah. isn't it amazing? We all notice when it's not there. Do we not? Yes, absolutely. And too much of our world is deprived of food and has food insecurity. None of which is the Lord's fault. Okay, when we look at uh, uh, the world uh, in the World Food Program, the 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 UN United Nations problems for food insecurity. None of which is um, overpopulation or it's it's our problem. We're growing enough food. Our problem is we can't ration it out properly. Yes, we destroy it ourselves. We steal it from each other. We don't. We don't give it to each other. We're, we're, we hoard it, uh, and that's very wrong.
2: Because Would God Himself control the supply in order to keep the price high and things like yeah. that.
1: And things like that. Yeah. Suckers. So uh, yeah. Uh, but God. God is going to is. With the way God is doing it is God is bringing this into the land. And again, this is part of the sacred memory of the people of Israel. Other nations in their sacred histories, the land gives birth to them. The Greeks always come from Greece. They never migrated in. Okay, You know, the Romans came from Romulus and Remus and all that kind of stuff. But Israel will never be able to say this land you know, that gave birth to me. I've always been here because the, the, the constant reminder for, for the people of Israel is actually you weren't from here, but you have been given this. This is an inheritance, mm. and uh, it's a good land. It's a great inheritance, but it comes with obligations. It comes uh, as a gift. It comes as being uh, part of the family, and it comes, okay, with, um, with uh, a reciprocal relationship uh, that, you, that we have.
2: It's also interesting that the city of Zion came built, ready for them to take over.
1: Yes, I actually hadn't thought of that, Um, Neville, that's true. Isn't that interesting, guys? Israel did not build Jerusalem. She was already here. Now, isn't that an interesting thought?
2: Her father was a Hittite and her mother was an Egyptian or something like that.
1: Something like that. Uh, (laughs) that, That's one of the... uh, That's an Ezekiel. Is Ezekiel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where it yeah. describes the, the city of Zion, my father.
3: Yeah.
1: Actually, I'm going to quote are, that
3: one in the notes somewhere along the line. Okay. We are longing to the new Jerusalem, which is universal, out of an outer from yeah. Israel. Right. The new Jerusalem is including the whole world. This is what we are longing for. From yeah. the physical Israel to the spiritual Jerusalem. Yeah, they so, the,
1: both, both sit in play at the same time. Okay. Uh, Where's Jesus going to come back to? Jerusalem, yeah, right. Go, but, right. So it's both, both at the same time. But heavenly Jerusalem, where does heavenly Jerusalem eventually come down? From heaven to earth. Correct. It's going to come
5: at oh. the millennial reign.
3: Heavenly yes. Jerusalem is in us. The Christ living in us. but eventually, we are turning to a new man. We are no longer the old man. Right. So the true. new men get together, turning to new Jerusalem. That's Father... The proverb. I mean, uh, the book of Revelation told us so clear. In, yes. In
1: Revelation, heavenly Jerusalem descends to the earth.
0: We're getting out of topic, I think. Yes, we are. <laughs> so we're going back to the land. <laughs> okay. Should
3: I apologize to all of you? I'm so sorry. I just couldn't help So interesting to discuss about this. Can we extend our Bible study to three hours?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: okay. You may be and on we, your own, Lingling. i ling. might be on your own, <laughs> there, baby. All right. So, okay, we're gonna, we are going to finish this verse, okay? This verse, this land, all right, which is a gift, which is an inheritance, which is something which goes against the narrative of just about everybody else in human history. Okay. Um, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing.
5: Okay. Right.
1: Now, is that a good thing?
5: Yes. Yes.
1: It is a good thing to lack nothing. However, what has
3: been the thing that happened in the wilderness? You have everything provided. It's the same thing. There was a lack.
1: God made God the humble. To get us into a humble place, He said, I, mm-hmm. had, to hung- I had to hunger you. I had to get you hungry. And then I could provide for you. So... Right. So, so that as part of the test, okay, there was a test that involved a withdrawal of, of some stuff. Here, that God is going, look, I'm going to give you this land. You're not going to lack anything. Okay. So what's the test going to be then?
5: Because
1: my previous test was a lack of something. Yeah. Now suddenly my new test is yeah. I get everything. Oh my gosh, which one can You're I do? And, and Moses has been warning people ever since at the start of Book of of this stuff. You're going to succeed. It's going to be a problem. Be mm-hmm. careful. And your only defense is to remember. So remember what it was like when you had nothing. Remember what it was like to fight giants. Remember what it was like when you failed. Remember what it was like when you were around. Okay, so back to this land, okay? Bread's not going to be scarce. You're not going to lack nothing. That could be a bit dangerous, but it's a blessing. So it's a bit of both. And then a land where the rocks are iron, although there's not a lot of iron mines around here. Okay. Uh, but there is this one, and you can dig copper out of the hill. All right.
2: so- Aaron, I'm wondering whether that statement about the stone is iron is more a reflection of the fact that the, the characteristic of iron is strength. Correct. And... and uh, so maybe it's saying that actually there are stones which are really strong. There are good quality building stones, not crumbly rubbish right. stuff. Yes, so I the stones you can really build correct. properly with. Correct.
1: Yeah, there's, there's no iron mines here. There's no gold mines or silver mines or anything like that. Um, but, but Neville's right. You can build this country out of rock. And uh, God blessed Israel with lots of rock. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's what Jesus said. I'm the cornerstone. You can throw you can throw it right. at giants, uh, or you can build temples out of it. Right, but, um, and it's uh, and it's a it's one of those. It's it's what we build out of here.
4: Jesus he was, built out of it too. He was a master stonemason. That's
3: correct. Yeah. He was a master stone. He was. He's a yeah. cornerstone. Technion. Amen. Tech tecton the the
2: tecton magic. yeah and tecton and you, yeah, yes. as in tectonic plates.
4: Correct. And when exactly. he got really, and when he got really good at it, he's called an architekton. Architecton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. A master builder. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, I was at um, uh,
1: Zibori, Cephrus. Yeah, yes. And, and I cannot remember who the guide was, but they they said that um, several of the buildings here were built around the first century. And there's a, and a, a lot of the, the, the masonry masons were brought over from the Galilee. So there's a chance that uh, Jesus had actually worked on some of those these areas. Yeah, he, I he think it's actually
3: a
2: very good chance. I mean, basically, it was it what, four kilometers, five kilometers away? And that's, that's where that's the money right, was.
4: They were really a, short, <laughs> a short commute for a Galilean workman. He yeah. also his also Greek there, I'm quite sure. He, he spoke Greek quite well.
1: Because um, the synagogue yeah. had a lot of Greek references to it. It, it was a
4: Hellenistic city with yeah. the Jews as well.
1: Yeah. So it's a fascinating, if anyone hasn't been there, it is a fascinating uh, place to visit, particularly when you look at uh, some of the art that's yeah. in the synagogue. The mosaics. The mosaics <laughs> mosaic, uh, very impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Well, well
0: the, the first time I went to the hotel. Yeah. The first story I got told there was that Solomon conjured up some demons to carry the stones. Have you heard about that?
1: Uh, Yes, it's written written in a book called uh, The the Wisdom of of Solomon.
0: Solomon,
1: The Testament of Solomon. Testament, yeah. And it's a story that Islam picked up. Okay, so when you go on, yeah, when you go onto the Temple Mountain, you will actually see. There's um, one of their little shrines is the Well of the djinn.
0: Yeah, the genies. The yeah, genies, the,
1: there, the djinn. So yeah. they, 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 Yeah, it's, it's, it's to. I don't know, quite know where they got it. I don't know, quite know how old that tradition is. Um, the Testament of Solomon certainly ain't written by Solomon. It's a uh, second. No late second temple period text. okay um, right. well, what we'll do guys is we'll leave it there we'll pick it up again at verse 10 uh, when we're eating and are satisfied um, okay is that good yeah mm-hmm. all yes. right thank you very much for studying thank you everybody
0: thank you for listening if you've been blessed by this teaching let us know by leaving a comment on our facebook page on soundcloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.